Hello, everyone. Welcome to Deprogrammed. I think we are. I think we're live. Ah, Carrie, hi. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. A little sleepy, but I'm good. All right. And, but this uh, Peggy McIntosh has me excited. She does. I'm. We've been wanting to do this for... <laughs> I feel like we've been wanting to do a lot of things like this, at least maybe not this particular thing, but we've been wanting to do a lot of things like this for a while. And it's a great opportunity to just kind of, I honestly, one of the things that got me thinking more about this, Carrie, was that we were doing the, the things at the end of our Kofefi shows, having like reading the knapsack article. I was like, ah, I really should talk about this other than rather than just read it because it's so horrible. It's a Uh, great idea. To do yeah, that, by the way. Thank you for, really for doing funny. this. So, yeah. So today, everyone, first of all, welcome. Thank you for joining. I see someone's already in chat, which is great. Oh, uh, Gracie. Yeah. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, share. Go to Subscribe Star if you have cash that's burning a hole in your pocket. Uh, otherwise, just pass it around and uh, and help get the word out. Uh, also, oh, we have shirts and stuff like that. There's merch at unsafespace.com if you really want to support us that much, including also, an awesome shirt. Yes. Also, okay. we are doing a book club, Unsafe Space Book Club, and the book first book we're reading is Brave New World. Uh, we're going to be doing a group discussion. We'll figure out how, how to do a discussion sometime the first week of August. Um, so I think we have a date set, We have right? a date set. <clears throat> uh, I don't know. But we, we, we set August 3rd, but we'll, okay. we'll August 3rd. Sometime. <laughs> oh, you want to change it because of your work schedule. I might have to change it. We'll see. Hopefully, <laughs> but we set it at night. So I might not, not have to. Instead of yeah. saying, well, we might. Right. Anyway, you've got until the first week of August to read Brave <laughs> New World and then join us for a discussion, which will be fun. Um, yeah. Can I, can I start, can I set up what we're doing today? Because I have something to say Please. About it. yeah you're you're the uh you're the expert on social justice uh, so this is i'm excited like harder to talk about this today because this white privilege is one of the cornerstones of sjw ideology and it's it is the concept from which intersectionality kind of arose they kind of arose together but it it, it combine some of the same ideas as intersectionality. Um, it is the root of a lot of the uh, other things that other concepts in SJW belief system that have come since then, like white fragility, um, uh, unconscious bias, all of these things sprung out of the concept of white privilege. And white privilege used to be something that was talked about. It was an academic concept. It, um, it was it came out of this essay we're going to talk about this this paper that Peggy McIntosh wrote and uh was an experiential piece of work right and it it all came from that and what's interesting to me now is that it's left academia it has infiltrated the mainstream and now it's treated as if it's a fact this this belief is a fact and so I'm just really happy that we're going to go through it like step by step and kind of take it apart for people that may not know where it came from yeah, and and let's be clear. When you say it's an experiential thing, it's not scientific. This is this is a woman 
who wrote a bunch of her opinions down about how she felt about things and therefore what might be happening with no evidence and just kind of barfed onto a page, mostly driven by what I believe to be her own guilt of economic privilege, which we can talk about. And that has been given legitimacy because it was done in a university setting and among academics. And now it is passed around as if this is some sort of intellectual exercise. And it's no more legitimate than asking your fourth grader how they feel about life at school. There's no yeah. legitimacy to this. This is simply her feelings about some stuff. That's all it is. And now 30 years later, you will see people in discussions use this white privilege. Whoa, you must not know about white privilege. Oh, white as if it is truth. Right. It's like saying you must not know about Peggy McIntosh's imaginary friend. <laughs> I don't have to know about Peggy's imaginary friend. That's not a thing. It's not a thing. Um, Carrie, I, I, I don't know if you want to be the one to do this, but I looked up some details because I suspected you had said she came from wealth. And I was like, I wonder if that's true. So I looked up some stuff. Do you know some information or would you like me to say? Uh, I think you can start to get into it, but I just wanted to credit. First of all, there's a great Quillette piece called Unpacking Peggy McIntosh's Knapsack. And That's what I was going to start with. Okay. So I think, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we should credit William Ray because he did a great job with pointing out how, how privileged this woman was growing up. Yeah. So I have, I have, I was going to read the first couple parag paragraph and a half of William Ray's piece in Quillette, which we can link to. Um, and then I did some independent research on some stuff. So uh, just a few little things. Mm -hmm. So William writes, Peggy, this is just to give you an idea of who this woman is. Peggy McIntosh was born Elizabeth Vance Means in 1934. She grew up in Summit, New Jersey, where the median income is quadruple the American national average. That is to say that half the incomes there are more than four times the national average, some of them substantially so. McIntosh's father was Winthrop J. Means, the head of Bell Laboratories' electronic switching department during the late 1950s. At that time, Bell Labs were the world leaders in nascent digital computing, computing revolution. Means personally held and sold patents on many very lucrative technologies, including early magnetic gyro compass equipment, which now helps to guide nuclear missiles and commercial jets, and which keeps satellites in place, blah, blah, blah. Means is also recorded as the inventor of a patent held by Nokia Bell in 1959, known as the information storage arrangement. This device is the direct progenitor to ROM computer memory and is cited in the later patent filed in 1965 for IBM. So long before Peggy McIntosh wrote her paper, her family was already having an outsized effect on Western culture. And then he, he goes on to talk about her college. But before we get to her college, I looked up her elementary school because Peggy McIntosh went to two separate private schools prior to going to college. The first was called Kent Place School. Now, we don't know how much Kent Place School cost back when she went, but we can compare it how much it costs today to maybe how much you might spend on your child's education, who's in grades six to 12. Uh, tuition at Kent Place School is $41,950 a year. So that's not just private school 
that's expensive private school. And I'm saying that as a dad in the Bay Area in California, 4195 is that's a pricey one. <laughs> that's not that's not a cheap private school. Then she went to George School, which was founded in 1887. It's a Quaker school. And the tuition there, it's a boarding school, the tuition and board there is $61,250. So I would go out on a limb and say she was a child of a family of some means. Let's just put it that way. And then to go back to... Yeah, go to ahead. go back to the piece, can can I pick up here for a second? Yeah, with the with the sentence about Radcliffe. Yeah, she then on she went to attend went on to attend Radcliffe. Um, do do you want me to read the whole thing or? <laughs> What's up to you? I was okay. going to read the next couple sentences, but whatever. Uh, a renowned finishing school for the daughters of America's patrician elites, and continued her private education at the University of London, ranked in the top fifty. Blah blah blah. Uh, she completed her English doctorate at Harvard. She got engaged to this fancy doctor and her wedding was announced in the New York Times social pages. Like, and it goes on and on. They, she was in the upper, as, as this guy says in the article, uh, upper elite, aristocratic elite. And she's yeah. remained there ever since. So this list of things that she thinks of as white privilege, just keep in mind her personal individual background. And by the way, personal background is not an argument. I'm not claiming it's an argument, uh, but she doesn't make any arguments. So this really isn't about arguments. This is about uh, understanding her perspective. Yeah. Carrie, how do you want to start? Do you want to start reading this essay? What do you want to do? I think we should go through the essay and just kind of take it apart. Yeah. There is one more thing I wanted to point out in this Colette piece, if you don't mind. There was one yeah. sentence that I really loved, and we can come back to this later too if we want to. Um, he pointed out that she basically took, I'm looking for it. She took her experiences growing up in this upper crust, like elite community, and she shared them with, here he says, here it is. Da, 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 da. But even though the lifetime of privilege McIntosh has experienced is almost certainly due to her wealth and not the color of her skin, she nevertheless found a way to share this irksome burden with the illiterate children of Kentucky coal miners, the hopeless peasants of the Appalachians, poor single mothers struggling to make ends meet on welfare, and the vast majority of whites in the United States and throughout the world who never had the chance to attend Radcliffe or Harvard. I thought that was a great, right. it's a great sentence because that's exactly what she does. She shares her elite privilege with an entire group of people Actually, she only shares the burden of it. She doesn't really share the privilege. <laughs> That's true. That she she should, sorry. Thank you for catching you. I need to speak more slowly so I'm articulating correctly. Yes. She shares the burden of the privilege, but not the actual privilege. <laughs> yes. Yes, she does. Uh, these people. So, Carrie, I, I printed it out. I got little notes and everything. I'm <laughs> an old man. I, I printed it out and wrote notes. I've got notes in a little notebook. All right. Okay. So... I don't know. How do you want to, do you want to just start re reading well, this? I don't, I mean, we don't have time to read every sentence and comment on every sentence. Right. I think we should put it up on the screen for a little bit and go through some of it. But I, uh, I just want to say one other thing, because this is one of the foundational beliefs of SJW ideology, this text, this experiential paper of hers, this is like, a. let's compare it to the Bible. 
<laughs> this is a sacred text within this belief system. And yet most of the people who preach this now, because it has um, become viral and, and gone outside of academia and now it's, it's become this mainstream thing. Most people have never even read it. They're quoting from a sacred SJW text that they haven't actually looked at. Just like the Bible. Hey, 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 yeah, you're right. A lot of people quote from the Bible without reading it. That's true. That wasn't meant to be a dig on the Bible. No, it's meant to be a dig on people who... Hypocr okay. Hypocr okay, let's go. So I have some notes about this first paragraph, but we should just, we should read the first paragraph just to like set a context though. So she writes... Through work to bring materials from women's studies into the rest of the curriculum. We can pause right there. So she's already in women's studies. This, by the way, is the reason I think this is one of the reasons why Barbara Kay, who we interviewed previously, said that the origin of a lot of this intersectional social justice crap is feminism. Right. Because this is this is where it came from. Yeah, she wrote this paper in 1989. It's called White Privilege Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack. But what led to it was a paper she wrote the year before. Uh, which was called white privilege and male privilege. And that, that it was, that was squarely about like, this is what I know about male privilege. And now it's opened up some things that I'm realizing about white privilege and it led to right. this. Right. So, so she says, yeah, through work to bring materials from women's studies into the rest of the curriculum. God, I, <laughs> I have often noticed men's unwillingness to grant that they are overprivileged, even though they may grant that women are disadvantaged. They may say they will work to women's status. Uh, statutes? Statues? It really says statues? Is this the right? Okay. Uh, in society, the university, or the curriculum, but they can't or won't support the idea of lessening men's. Denials that amount to taboos surround the subject of advantages that men gain from women's advantages. These denials project male privilege from being fully acknowledged, lessened, or ended. Uh, Carrie, I've got just a couple notes on this one already. I don't know if you want to, if you got anything to say about this paragraph. Go ahead. So uh, there's a few things I hate about this right away. Um, and and these, these roots are shared with feminism. So first of all, this idea of privilege itself shifts blame to an innocent third party. So if there are men who are misogynistic and sexist, which I'm sure there are, and probably many more back in 1989 or 88 when she first was doing that work, they are the ones to blame. It's not, other people don't, it's not privilege that they have because they're not, they're not doing anything. They, it's not their privilege that there's someone who's, how do I want to say this? Blacks who aren't slaves in Prior to the Civil War, blacks who weren't slaves weren't privileged because they weren't slaves. <laughs> Slave owners were evil and should not have owned slaves and were guilty, but calling blacks who weren't slaves privileged shifts blame away from the slave owner to the people who are innocent third parties. And that's the purpose of using the word privileged. Why she likes privilege is she wants everyone to feel guilt. This is her thing of spreading the guilt around. Oh, I know you're not doing anything, but you're privileged. Because bad things aren't happening to you, therefore you're privileged. And so I hate the concept. Um, the other thing I want to say is this mentality, and, and this one I think is, is really important to notice because I think it's a fundamental difference between how one type of person views the world and how another type of person views the world. Um, 
this is a zero sum outlook on on the world. So this is the idea that if you have something, then I don't have it. There's a there's a pizza to go around. And if Carrie has too many slices, I'm left with a box. That's that's what that's what the zero sum mentality is. Now in reality, in reality, none of us have anything. Nature hates you. Nature hates us. Nature, it does not provide things. So in reality, things are created. And so it's not that there's a pizza and if I have too many slices, you get a box. It's that I might make a pizza, but me making a pizza doesn't take away from you making a pizza also. It's not, life is not a zero sum game. Society is not a zero sum game. We this haven't like, just shifted resources around since stone age. This We've is like when you explain things. the concept of work to me. So this is an entirely separate conversation, but we should do a video on, that, on this at some point because it reminds me of, and, and SJWs, I think a lot of times don't, haven't heard about, haven't heard this, which is the, 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 the creation of value. When you, yes. you were kind of telling me like, if I create something and sell it and make a hundred dollars, I didn't take that hundred dollars from you. I made right. something. Right. And that's demonstrably true because uh, it's not like if you rewind 2000 years ago, we had all the same stuff, but differently distributed. Clearly we've created stuff. So it's not, life is not a zero sum game. And this, this idea that she's got here of, and she's going to get into it further, but she talks about this. She talks about this privilege and she acts as if, if one person has agency, it therefore decreases other people's agency. And that is a false premise to start out with right away. That's all I wanted to say. Wow. Do you mean she's starting all this on a faulty premise? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, my privilege just uh, makes it impossible for me to, uh, so, to understand. Uh, I want to point out something from a former SJW's uh, point of view here. A lot of times people ask, how do they get you to buy all this stuff, right? Well, it's piece by piece. And so you can see that at the beginning of this article. She's like, well, as a woman, it's easier to convince her as a woman that there's a system of oppression that's still ongoing, that that she that men have privilege and she doesn't because they have privilege and for her to start to look at everything through that lens and to say well that happened and and actually sometimes yes to this happened because of sexism this this man was sexist and he said this and blah 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 or i didn't get this job because i think that dude was sometimes yes it is sexism but it's not sexism every time and what this tells you is that it is and that you have no agency. And once they've convinced you of that, and it's easy to do it when it's something that relates to you, right? Like, so she's a woman. It's easy. First, she's convinced that that there's this hierarchy in which men ha are born. All men have innate male privilege and women don't have. And there's no privileges to being female um, in any context. That's That's what you accept first. Once you've done that, then she says, oh, then I've was able to see how race is like that too. And I am in the privileged category, white, and everyone else does not have privilege because I do. So it's step by step. And then once you've seen that, then it's like, oh, they, they basically take this and they apply it to all of these groups, all these marginalized and privileged groups. So then they move it into queer theory and then into fat studies. And then, you know, it just keeps going. Yeah. Yeah. And, 
she it costs her very little to say, well, I have some white privilege and I'm going to write about it because her, her, her status, her economic status and her academic status, it doesn't really cost her much to do this. Um, whereas some of the less, less advantaged people that are white that you mentioned earlier, like coal miners, it, it actually has a bigger impact on them. This is a tax that Peggy McIntosh can afford. Yeah. Um, but not everyone can. Um, on that note, I, I just wanted to show you, show you guys something real quick because this relates directly to what you just said, the cost on poor whites. There was a study that just came out, uh, this paper uh, published in the Journal of Experimental Psychology, which said that the idea of white privilege doesn't actually make, when, when, liberal, when you teach liberals about this concept of white privilege, it doesn't actually make them more empathetic but, or more empathetic towards black people or people of color. But it actually, the, the one impact they're seeing is that it's making people less empathetic towards poor white people. Right. Not Isn't surprising. that interesting? Yeah. Not surprising. Yeah. It's, uh, it really is. And, you know, that's kind of the economic class that Trump won in his, his election. His, it's kind of the demographic is the lower, the low, quote, lower class whites. Right. One example of that, again, not to get too far afield, but I think it's good to just mention it because this just happened. There was this uh, SUNY professor who, uh, if you guys look it up, I, I can't find it right now, but the SUNY professor who basically said that when he sees a poor white person, it makes him happy. And that he, he views poor white people as people who have wasted their white privilege. <laughs> That's a professor. These are the people teaching your kids. Uh, right. So I know we want to get to the, she's got 50, 50 things here. So I know we want to get to them, but is there anything else kind of before this Carrie, before she gets to her 50 uh, daily effects of white privilege that you want to talk about? Um, there's one that I want to point out, but you know, not too much other than that. Uh, you go ahead and I'm going to, well, the one I want to point out is a is is a little par few paragraphs down. Uh, oops, this isn't showing. Let me. So she uses this word power. She says, as we in women's studies work to reveal male privilege and ask men to give up some of their power, so one who writes about having white privilege must ask, having described it, what will I do to lessen or end it? And I want to highlight the word power because. This is, this is, again, a through line. It's a problem with both feminism and intersectionality generally. And that is this unhealthy focus on a particular type of power. So it is true that historically men have been in positions of political power, economic power, um, which is really just work, workplace power, right? If you want to use the word power there which is questionable in, in the political realm. I think it's appropriate in other realms. It's maybe less appropriate because it's uh, it's not really power that's tied up with force in any way, but there are ways in which women have power in relationships, in controlling the ideology and mindset of uh, children, which controls the mindset and ideology of the next generation. And therefore the cultural change generally women there are no one stops to ask well 
what are the powers that women have had historically? And, and actually, I think what they're doing is they're focusing only on the things that men have, quote, power in and arguing that that is power. That is the end of power. That's all power. That's all the power that matters. And we have to fight to get some rather than saying, well, what power have women had, which is different from what power have men had? What have, what have women been relied on to do or given authority over or had influence in? What do, what do they get to do? Right. So, for example, the one example I'll give is going to war. Women don't have to go die. They've never been asked to have to go die. They're never given a rifle and told to go defend their country. Never. Now, that's a certain amount of power slash privilege slash position in society that is superior to man's position. But their focus is purely on a particular type of power. And there's something unhealthy about that. And I think it opens Pandora's box to all of these other mistakes that you can make about analyzing the interactions between people in society. That's, that's all I wanted to say before we get that. Well, just to piggyback on that, that for anyone who is, this is the first time you've watched one of our videos, maybe that is also, that's the, that's the center of SJW ideology is power. That's what they worship. If you think of it like a religion and when an SJW dies, you will see them say rest in power instead of rest in peace. And they view all these different groups, right? All these different privileged versus marginalized groups as groups that are competing over power. So it's a really uh, generalized way to think of it is is it's like Marxism, but instead of groups competing over capital, over money, they're competing over the power that Carter's talking about. Well, and in many ways, they're competing directly over the power of the gun. They're competing over uh, controlling the state. This is why the left is so authoritarian because they, the, you know, the right, at least historically, a lot of the smaller government people have been on the right and the smaller government people kind of don't want the state to have a lot of power. So there's not a lot to argue over as long as they don't have a lot of power. It doesn't matter. There's, there's not much power to wield. But if, if you've moved into this um, mindset in which the state has lots of power to do everything, then suddenly everyone needs to argue over who to point the gun at. And the leftists are very much about a large state. And therefore, uh, all of this, all of this argument between different groups and uh, all of the, the strife associated with intersectionality is centered around who gets to hold the gun and point it at whom. That's I've I hadn't thought about it that way before, but that's exactly what it is. It's about who gets to tell who what to do. Like it right. it is very authoritarian in nature. And you'll see this even in like in this in the the part that you just read, she's like, how do we what can I do about it? Right. Or how can we be accountable for our power? Um, this is where you and you will see you may have heard some of these phrases where they say stuff like SJWs will say, stay in your lane, or shut white people need to shut up and listen or men need to shut up and listen, or uh, if you're someone in a privileged group, then they will say, you know, you're invalidating my lived experience if you disagree with me. Um, it's a way of controlling who gets to contribute to the conversation, who gets to share their thoughts and opinions, and it's a way of making people lower class because, and they view it as okay, because they view it as you are someone who's in this powerful group and you have power and therefore you need to give up your power and shut up and let these other people tell you all of their opinions. And, but you, you can't say anything. 
And you'll notice this in some of the comments from Daily Kefefe yesterday. Anyway, people were like, oh, you, you, you're white people. You can't talk about this. Here's something very freeing. I, people sometimes ask us what to do. Talk about what you want to talk about. <laughs> Don't let this. Oh, you're white. Oh, you can't speak. You can't talk. You can't have an opinion. Oh, you you're know what, Carrie? You can't have an opinion on that. <laughs> Honestly, the yesterday's episode was great for me because I think it was it yesterday. The one that we had all the haters. Yeah. Um, it was it was the first time we other than the weird trolls for the Josh Denny video who weren't really ideological. This was the first time we had like a lot of actual racists hating on it, like calling us racists, saying that we're white racists. It's a crazy low then- IQ intersectionalist people yelling at us on YouTube. And, you know, what was great for me is I it was the first time that I I had reached this point in my life where I didn't care. I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm being called a racist. Like, no. Yeah, I don't care. Okay, that's they, your problem, not mine. <laughs> their their ideology is racist. And who cares if a racist projects and calls you racist because you're not? And and I like the fact that they com- did all those comments because they illustrate perfectly how racist they are. Almost every yeah. comment is, well, you white people are, are blah, blah, blah. Or white people are da, da, da. You are judging an entire group of people based on race. Thank you for illustrating what racism actually is. And yeah. it doesn't matter and, what and, race is, but to judge an entire group of people like that and to say they would take any of those sentences in their comments and make it about any other race. And they would never do that. No, no. And, and it's, you know, the more you do it, I like, I didn't, it made me uncomfortable at first when people would say things like that about me or about us. And now uh, it, you know, it just, you just have to do it a few times and then you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. I'm called racist. You know, Plus, whatever. because they've used it so much and and so inaccurately, uh, and lobbed it in, at so many people in so many situations where it doesn't apply, that it it's like they've stripped it of meaning anyway. Your magic word isn't as magic anymore. Yeah, and by the way, I do want to thank our uh, subscribers. We now have enough subscribers that we don't have to fight the battles. Really, like someone comes in there and says something, and like there's other smart people who are subscribe oh, yeah. pay attention to what we do or you attack them for us which is great um so that just certainly makes life easier okay i know you want to we want to get to these okay. these things the only other thing i sorry there is one more thing i wanted to point out uh she uses a sleight of hand here she uses um she starts with a word that's relatively innocuous sounding like privilege and it's easy for people to accept like oh i guess maybe i have a little bit of privilege you know i did go to a nicer school or i didn't grow up you know, my dad wasn't in jail or whatever it was, like whatever things that you have that aren't the absolute worst, you can always ascribe to privilege, right? Well, I have all my limbs and whatever. Like, okay. So she starts with a word that's sounds rather innocuous. And if you let her get away with it, it's still an inappropriate word, but if you let her get away with it, she then just starts swapping that word out with other quote synonyms. And you're not supposed to notice that she's escalated when she gets to the to this paragraph, uh, right, just about right before she starts going through her list. She's going to go through the list on the next page. She starts using the word oppressor. My schooling, my schooling gave me no training in seeing myself as an oppressor. Right. So now she's swapped to, I, I'm I'm privileged to an I'm an oppressor. Oh, th- they use these words interchangeably. So they you will see them say privileged or oppressor. And then the flip side of that is marginalized or, or the oppressed. 
Like that, yeah. that's, I'm, I didn't, but that's, they use them interchangeably. And I didn't notice she did that just because I'm so used to seeing them used interchangeably. <laughs> like they, they, they view it as the same thing. You necessarily are oppressing if you have privilege. Right. But they don't start with, they don't start with the more serious word because when you say like, if you can convince someone, oh, you have a little bit of privilege, they might say yes to that, even though they shouldn't. Then you then you substitute the word oppressor, and then you start talking about well, what should you do to oppressors? It's like, well, you you can justify a lot of bad behavior against oppressors. Oppressors are bad people, and suddenly you're in this class of people who can be uh, vilified and and spat upon and punched or whatever it is because you're an oppressor, and you've accepted it uh, way back when you accepted the idea of privilege. That's a great you point. They, you they start with the softer one accept that yeah. you have privilege because other people don't and then accept that you're an oppressor. I, that's a great point. Yeah. All right. So let's get on to the, the meat. The fun part of this is the daily effects of white privilege. So she listed these and she admits in this article that she wouldn't remember them if she didn't write them down, <laughs> which is not surprising because they're all made up. But, uh, she, oh, let's just read the intro paragraph. I decided to try to work on myself, at least by identifying some of the daily effects of white privilege in my life. So these are daily effects. I have chosen those conditions that I think in my case attach somewhat more to skin color privilege than class, religion, ethnic status, or geographic location. Though, of course, all these other factors are intricately intertwined. As Carrie pointed out earlier, this was prior to saying uh, hetero heteronormative privilege or cis privilege or whatever. As far as I can tell, my African my African American coworkers, friends, and acquaintances with whom I come into daily or frequent contact in this particular time, place, uh, time and place and time of work cannot count on most of these conditions. So, yeah. By the so way, that, Carrie, that oh, list, sorry, go ahead. Well, that list there that that you yeah, it's, uh, class, religion, ethnic status, geographic location. So that that has now been expanded, as you pointed out. That's that is the basis of intersectionality. So that so now it's like they're there are all these different groups. And, and since 1988, they would probably add to that um, gender identity, uh, size, a person of size or not. You know, they have all these new and ever uh, increasing number of categories because people, it's a social currency to now be in the oppressed or marginalized group. So people keep coming up with more groups that could be like, well, I, yeah, I might be, a, I might be privileged in these ways, but I'm oppressed over here. I have a mental illness, you know? <laughs> right, right. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm somewhere on the spectrum. Therefore, right. whatever. That's it's ruined my life. Uh, so, so she's gonna go through these uh, now. Carrie, I. Oh, by the way, I have a quick question. I, I, maybe someone knows this. I thought I remember, like, literally ten or fifteen years ago, reading something about because she mentioned African American coworkers. I thought reading. I thought I men remember reading something about actually immigrants who were dark skin that came into the nation. Uh, outperforming uh, blacks who were uh, like grew up, even though e even when you control for economic conditions, which I think at the time uh, the article was attributing to uh, culture, right, and which is driven by this kind of thought. So people were coming uh, com coming into the country with a much more uh, individualist mindset and believing that they could succeed and people that were caught not, up in kind of the American culture, especially the American culture, the African-American culture of, hey, we're disadvantaged and being told by people like Peggy McIntosh that you're disadvantaged uh, actually 
hurt their performance. And but I I don't I don't remember it clearly. So well, well anecdotally, that, there you know. I anecdotally there's a great article, uh, and I can't remember the guy's name, but we can find it, and put it, link it in the description afterwards. Um, who did a rebut? He's a black immigrant who did a rebuttal, who came here with nothing and has worked his way up to success. And he wrote a great rebuttal to Ta-Nehisi Coates, um, which is, and of course he's criticized as being Uncle Tom or all these, all these racist terms they use when a black person doesn't fall in line with SJW ideology, but we'll find it. We'll link it. Cause that's just anecdotally what you're saying. He was, his whole essay is like, I came here because of the opportunity and my other friends and I, who came from all these different countries, you know, we're going to school, we're working during the day, da da da. And here's where we are now because I didn't see myself as a victim. Oh, you're muted. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I was muted. Th so let's go. This is good. That's good. Carrie. You're right. Let's go through these things. There's 50 of them. And let's just remind people. So I, I tried to categorize them. I didn't categorize all of them, but um, I categorized them in, in categories like majority privilege, economic advantage, privilege, leftist privileged, and um, what was the last category? Oh, basically uh, just like an arbitrary Did fantasy you say, opinion of something that actually doesn't happen. Wait a minute, so, wait a minute. Did you say majority privilege? Was that in there? Yeah. Okay, yeah, because yeah. a lot of these are majority privilege. Yeah, some, some of them are majority privilege, but some of them are just things that are just in her imagination. So we need to remember, we're going to, she items, you know, she makes these 50 items and it makes it sound like these are kind of well thought out conclusions. Let's just remind everyone before we dive in one more time. This is just her feelings about stuff. She lived a particular life as a particular individual in a particular part of the country that life happened to be uh, blessed, for lack of a better word. She was, you know, very wealthy family and what very, we would traditionally say privileged. privileged existence. Right. And, and, and she just had some observations. These observations aren't scientific. They are meaningless, but she wrote them down and numbered them. And that apparently makes them gospel. So number I, one, wait, 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 one more okay. caveat. I know we're leading up to it, but one more caveat. Cause I know some people in the comments are like, I'm honestly, this guy says I'm afraid of the fallout. If I posted this on Facebook, I totally understand that. And I wanted to preface this with, um, now Carter, you may be shocked. I do believe in white privilege. I don't believe in white privilege the way it's used in this essay. And I don't believe in white privilege the way it's currently being used. That's why it's good to ask people to define terms. And what I mean by I believe in white privilege is that um, every individual is privileged and marginalized in different ways. And in certain contexts, absolutely. If you are a white person, uh, dealing with a racist who uh, is working, I don't know, like at a gas station and you want to buy, I don't buy some, I, there are contexts in which your white skin <laughs> will help you. Um, there are also contexts in which black skin will help you. So there are contexts, it depends, it's a contextual thing. And I I'm, wouldn't call that white privilege. I would just say that, you know, like every individual has different situation and can have advantages in some situations and disadvantages in others. Exactly. I don't know why but, that's white privilege. Well, well, because majority privilege. Blah, blah, blah. I would call it, I would call it uh, uh, that, but I would get very specific about what I mean. It's not this overarching, like everyone has this, um, every white person has this privilege that's got like a, like a card they can use because some people are marginalized in other ways. I'm trying to speak SJW language. 
some people's marginalizations, all the different marginalized groups they're in, outweigh this one so-called privilege. Like, let's say I agree with with SJWs, just and I don't, but let's say I do. All these different, if you look at a poor coal miner, for example, all these different marginalizations in that person's life outweigh this supposed privilege that you believe he has. So that's speaking their language. Yeah, I would recommend not speaking their language. But I, I would why? recommend rejecting their language because it's it's a decept it's a deceptive language designed to foist upon you an evil philosophy. No, 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 no. Here's the thing: I I I don't speak in their language as if it's truth. When I argue with them or when I talk to them, I think it's important sometimes to say I don't agree with you on this, but using your language or using your belief system, X Y Z, refute their arguments on their own level, like on their own. You're talking about how to tactically field. interact yes. with SJWs. How to tactically interact with SJWs. That's it. Okay. That's, that's fine. I, my tactic is don't interact with SJWs. <laughs> All right. <Okay>. So <laughs> let's see. Here we go. So number one, I can, if I wish, arrange to be in the company of people of my race most of the time. Well, obviously, by the way, my little notes here, instead of majority privilege, I just wrote not in Japan because I spent a lot of time in Japan <laughs> and I was a minority in Japan. So I know what it's like to be a white person in Japan. And so uh, my little note just says not in Japan. Uh, so, my note there says majority privilege. Right, that's, that's what it is. That's yeah. a majority privilege that she's identifying. I can avoid spending time with people whom I was trained to mistrust and who have learned to mistrust my kind or me. This, I, this is just her psychological baggage. Right. She's this is a projection. She was I don't know. I wasn't trained to mistrust people of, of a certain skin color. I don't know that everyone else was trained to mistrust. So this is a she's projecting a problem. And and if it were a real problem, it would likely be a majority privilege problem based on like, hey, there's most of us look like this and these people look like that. And that's a problem. I just I've not. I don't experience this. I don't know. I think it's his, this is weird. This is her psychological problem. Carrie, do you, does this make sense? Does this resonate with you? No, nah, let's move on. All right. If I should need to move, I can be pretty sure, this is number three, I can be pretty sure of renting or purchasing housing in an area which I can afford and which I would want to live. That's economic privilege. That's called having money. That's not a, that's not a white privilege thing. There's nothing white about that. Um, number four, I can be pretty sure that my neighbors in such a location will be neutral or pleasant to me. I don't even understand that one. I, that must be projection. Carrie, what's that? What is that one? Uh, look, I'm, I'm still caught up on this. <laughs> I have to have no. this out with you because this is more important. This is important. This is a big, you have to have what out with me. Okay. We have to, we're going to go down this list, but I have to make something clear because I don't think either I'm not articulating myself correctly Mm -hmm. And we don't understand how we're disagreeing or, but, but hear me out. I didn't know we were. So we were earlier. Yes. I definitely don't understand it. If I don't know that I, we are. Okay. You believe in something called majority. You believe in a majority privilege that you can have privilege. If you know the majority, no, I don't, I wouldn't use that word. I'm just using it conveniently to mock white privilege. I would not use the word majority privilege. No. So what would you call it? What would you call would you give it a term when I'm in, when I'm in Japan, I don't have, if you're a Japanese person in Japan, do you have some sort of privilege by being a Japanese person in Japan? No, you're just a normal person in Japan. 
So you don't believe that there's any advantage to being a Japanese person in Japan? Sure, there's an advantage, but it's not a privilege. It's, well, not, it's so, not a privilege. It's, so it's that... What would you call if, it? If I'm mistreated, it's not because everyone else is privileged. I'm just mistreated. No, no, but let's call it an advantage then. I'm not talking about you as a white person. I, I mean, no, because no, because an advantage implies that there's something... So an advantage implies that there's a starting line and you get to start in front of the starting line. That's not what it is. There's okay. a disadvantage, but not an advantage. Okay, so a Japanese person is not advantaged by being Japanese in Japan, but a white person is disadvantaged by being Yes, a white I know person. that sounds not balanced, but yes, that's what I would argue. Because saying that their advantage implies that there's some kind of norm that should be adhered to and they're ahead of the game on the norm, they're ahead of it. I would okay. say an, an advantage is having like Peggy, an advantage would be, well, economically advantaged would be having a family that makes way more than the average family and being able to afford a way more than the average family. That's an economic advantage, sure. But the average person in Japan isn't way more Japanese than the other average person in Japan. There's no, they don't have an advantage over the norm, over the mean, over the median. There's no advantage over the median. They're just normal. Okay. We're again, I think we're speaking two different languages here then, because I think there's an advantage to being a Japanese person in Japan, but I don't think that that means that they're starting across some starting line. I just think it means in certain contexts, it life is easier because they're, they're going to speak the language. Automatically. Well, the implication, but, the, the reason I'm pushing back, Carrie, is the implication that Peggy uses the word privilege and and SJWs use words like advantage, they intend them to convey uh, moral judgments. So you're supposed to feel guilty for your privilege and guilty for your advantage. It doesn't like, I, are there circumstances? What, I, I agree with you on that. That is- they, Right, they, so I'm, I'm pushing back on the language. If we, if, we, if we remove the morality from those terms, I would be happy to use them, but they're used in a moral context and they're used to convey, uh, they're used to convey guilt or some sense of, of uh, moral weight that they don't deserve. So is, is a, is a tall guy advantaged over me when it comes to basketball? Yeah. But if he's average height in the NBA, I'm not going to run around saying he's advantaged. I'm going to be like, well, he's like everyone else in the NBA. He's, you know, if there's a 10 foot guy in the NBA, well, he's got a height advantage that's <laughs> measurable compared to everyone else. Right. But you know, like, okay, okay fine. So I, I, but I think, if, if we can use the word advantage and, and remove all the moral implications from it, fine, I'd be happy to use privilege or advantage in that sense. But I think that they're too intertwined and it's very difficult to do that, which is why I'm pushing back. Okay, uh, I understand that. Thank you for taking the time to try and explain that. One of the th problems I have with it, and just give me a chance to try and explain this um, mm -hmm. before we move on. I don't, I'm like, I'm feeling rushed because I have a time limit. Okay. Um, one of the issues I have with the way they use the term privilege, aside from its moral implications, like you say, is that they talk about it as if it is a, a static universal thing that is applied across a group and not affected by these other privileges that they believe in. And so, uh, or it's only affected by those privileges or mar marginalizations if it's a marginalized person. Like, like in, if it's in a, if it's a person who's in one of their uh, more esteemed, more marginalized categories. So they don't take into account, for example, um, let's take a theoretical 
white homeless guy. They don't take into account all the various other endless number of groups that a person can be in because it is an endless number of groups, all the endless number of marginalizations that stack up against any perceived, any perceived advantage of being white in a majority white country. So that's my issue with it is that they, they view it as if it's uh, a truth and that if it, and as if it exists in all contexts, which it doesn't, if you're in a black neighborhood being white, if you're like, I, I, if you're in a black neighborhood, being white is not an advantage. <laughs> like it's, it's because then majority privilege is black and the cultural norms are, are, you know what I mean? Like it's. Yeah. So Carrie, so this is, this is uh we could actually get into something pretty fundamental here. I know that people view intersectionality as breaking people up and like they have this, like, well, you have all these traits. You could be uh, your skin color matters and your gender matters. And we're stacking all these groups that you belong to on top to define you. Um, I actually view intersectionality a little bit differently. I view it as removing individuality and placing you in groups. So yes. they're not stripping you of, they're not stripping you of things. That, they're sorry. They're not, they're not defining you by a bunch of things. They're stripping of you of everything other than those things. So, uh, if you're white, that, that is not, there's no nuance to that. And there's no, it's like, that's the category you're all, you're, you're in this group let's say you're a white cis male, right? Christian, we'll throw in Christian because they hate Christian. So you're a white cis Christian male, able-bodied, whatever. We're using their words, which I abhor right now, but yes. Right, I understand, yes. So, but, that, but that's, that's the end of defining you, that's it. That's it for their definition of you. And whereas an individualist perspective realizes that, yes, you have many attributes. Some of the attributes may be advantages and disadvantages at times in your life, depending on the circumstances. And there are many advantages that aren't categorized by intersectionality, like you went to a better school or you happen to be smarter or you really know cars and this is a mechanical problem with the car or you're or you in Harlem. Or you grew up in a stable home with two parents or you grew yeah, up- Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. Right? So there's, there's in any situation, there, the complexity of who an individual is needs to be taken into full account. And they, they abhor individualism. And so they're not actually- they're not actually intersectionally stacking people in a way to make these people complex. They're, they're removing the complexity of individuals and allowing you to be defined only by membership into a predefined list of groups that's expanding, but will never expand infinitely because if it expands infinitely, it becomes individualism. individualism. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's exactly right. It's co collectivism. It's, it's like they keep expanding these groups because there are uh, people who are like, but hey, the, the, I'm not defined by this limited number. And because it's good to be marginalized in this belief system, let me, let me list all the ways I'm marginalized. And so those keep becoming new categories. But like you said, it's impossible to expand that. To, if yeah. they did it, if, if it was infinite, then yes, you're just back to being individuals. Yeah, although I will, there's a caveat to what I'm saying. There is one direction in which it can expand infinitely. There's only one, many directions. I think there's only one direction in which it cannot expand infinitely. What? One set of directions. All of this is not about, keep in mind, none of this is about building anything. This is about tearing down that which they hate. And what they hate is Western civilization defined predominantly by white, cis, heteronormative men, Christians. So in that direction, you may not break down categories any further. But in every other direction, 
If you can subdivide, that's fine. It may cause a little bit of infighting on your side, but it's just more groups to oppose the, the evils that we want to oppose, the evil white men that we're looking to tear down. So uh, I actually think they would be fine with individualism everywhere except for there. Yes. And, and they're going in that direction, actually. Yeah, they are. Okay, thank you for allowing us this time to flesh this out because I felt like I was distracted because I was thinking, anyway, let's yeah, get back to it. Good. I have so a good, good half hour to get through. <laughs> 50, let's pick, 48 thing, let's thing. Pick some, Let's pick some good ones. Wait a minute. Um, yes, I agree with you. That pick number, some you like. Number three was economic. Okay. Number four, yeah, whatever. That's in her head. Um, right. Okay, number five is also in her head. I can go her, shopping yeah. alone. Yeah. Number five, I can go shopping alone most of the time. Pretty well assured that I will not be followed or harassed. Oh, okay. That's, I think that's ugly privilege, but that's a separate issue. No, I'm, I think I'm kidding. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm making an off color joke. Oh, by the way, that is a, ca a new category. They do say there's pretty privilege now. Um, oh, anyway. Well, there is actually some advantages in many situations See? to being pretty. That's what I'm saying. Some disadvantages as well. Yes, I know that that's what I was trying to get at earlier with you is there are advantages in certain, in every context, there's going to be some kind of advantage or disadvantage. Anyway, um, da, da, da. Okay. The television. I can, I can turn on the television. Do you want to do that one? I can turn on the television or open to the front page of the paper and see people of my race widely represented. Now, this is what I would call majority privilege. Not that's in Japan. That's what yeah. I... If you are in China and you open the paper, you're going to see people of your race widely represented. Um, number seven, when I am told about our national heritage or about civilization, I am, and I like that civilization is in quotes as if it's not a real thing. I am shown right. that, that people of my color made it what it is. Not what in it, Japan. Not in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> I can be sure that my children will be given curricular materials that testify to the existence of their race. Now, here's something I want to point out about this. Um, even in 1989, or I don't, I don't know of any curricular materials that did that kind that that erased the existence of other races. This is Actually, something the only the only materials I'm aware that do that. The only people I'm aware that try and exist or erase existence of races are leftists who argued for a while that race was a, race was a social construct. Yeah, uh, they did argue that for a while. They're not pushing that as much anymore because now that the it works uh, against them. <laughs> Now it works because they've they've pushed the trans um, activism angle to such a degree that if they continue to push race as a so social construct, then they're going to have to let people like Rachel Dolezal legitimate, le legitimately call themselves black. Um, right. Okay. So. Right. Uh, people, okay. Uh, where are we? That was number what? Number uh, seven. Seven. Eight. Uh, oh no, that was eight. Okay. Uh, nine. If I want to, I can be pretty sure of finding a publisher for this piece on white privilege. That's leftist privilege, bitch. That's hey, leftist privilege. Wait, that's leftist privilege, but it's also elite privilege. That's because of the class she's in. That's that's because sure. of her elite status and knowing people in... Look, you're, how many different elite universities have you been at, Peggy McIntosh? Of course you're going to find a publisher for your piece. Right, yeah. I just, I called the president of whatever country that I went, I went to school with his son and asked him to help me get a yeah. paper published. That's called connection yeah. privilege because I run in <laughs> yeah. elite circles. Ten. <laughs> oh, can, Peggy. Oh, Peggy. Yeah. Um, Peggy, why don't you try writing a piece today on how your white privilege paper was bunk? And see if you can find a publisher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, she'll get it. Quillette, Quillette will publish it. 
<laughs> so yeah, but not not a legacy media. Okay, right. number ten. I can be pretty sure of having my voice heard in a group in which I am the only member of my race. Now that is, I think, just an assumption. I mean, yeah. So this, so a lot of her things like this, Carrie. This is why, like, some of them I have in this weird category of like her fantasy world or projection. She's assuming that people don't listen to people when they're not their race. And uh, I think that's just her projecting. I don't know if she just doesn't listen to black people or what's going on with her, but that's not something I've experienced. Well, and, and, I would, and, and in Japan, it's not something I've experienced. I would say 30 years later, Peggy McIntosh, in part because of this paper, which has become the foundation of you know, one core SJW belief. Um, if you're in an SJW circle, this is actually the, the opposite is true now because you are actively told not to speak because you're a white. SJWs will say, sit down and shut up. That's an acceptable thing for them to say. Yep. Because you're white. Yep. Um, and then 11 is another, uh, this is another just self-confession of hers, right? I can be casual about whether or not to listen to another person's voice in a group in which he or she is the only member of his or her race. Like, I, so you're just, you're a racist? I don't understand. <laughs> like, I, this is just her projecting again. That's not how, that's not how I've ever treated with people, people of another race. I don't know. I don't know people who are like, oh, I don't have to listen to that person because their skin color is different. But, you know, hey. Number 12, I can go into a music shop and count on finding the music of my race represented. Okay, you're telling me in 1988 that you, you went into music shops and didn't find a lot of uh, black artists? I have to be honest. I can't do, I, this, my, my not in Japan doesn't work because American music was so widespread. This that, one is uh, just in her I head. I could actually find it. <laughs> well, this one is just in it. You could go into Japan and find in, in a music shop in 1988 and find a number of black artists. I'm sure. Right. Like yeah. that, that. This one is in her head. But but there's a couple happening here in number 12. The next one is into a supermarket and find the staple foods which fit with my cultural traditions. Okay. Again, that depends on context. If you were in uh, Little Tokyo, in that context, this isn't. There is no white privilege there. It's going to be Japanese foods. If it depends on where you're at, this is majority privilege. Also, so, ethnicity and race are not the same thing. Culture and race aren't the same thing. So, right. uh, that that's a conflating of two terms, which they like to do when it used when it's to their advantage, and they hate doing when it's not to their advantage. But uh, black people don't have one type of food. I'm sorry to say, Peggy McIntosh. Whether I, it is kind of racist to say that. I think it's totally racist to say that. There's a certain. There's no black people food here. Yeah. Like um, really? Wait, you're the champion of anti-racism. What? <laughs> <sighs> Sorry. Number thirteen. Whether I use checks, credit cards, or cash, I can count on my skin color not to work against the appearance of financial reliability. Now, in 1988, in certain contexts, I agree with her on this one. I think I, I, I would like to see evidence because I I yeah I'm sure there's con I'm sure in some situations there's context yeah but I'd like to see some real evidence because you know my experience having been a capitalist for decades and granted I was young in 1988 so I wasn't in the business world but every waspy white person I've ever met. Every waspy banker 
They don't give a shit. They just want to make money. That's all they care about. They just care about making money. That's it. They run the numbers. They don't care about anything else. Just money. Just making money. That's the whole criticism of capitalism, that they're greedy. Well, if they're greedy, they don't give a shit about your skin color. Trust me. Now, maybe in 89, I don't, I don't know, maybe there was more of that, but... I think there was more of an assumption back then. And, there, and, and yes, individually, there still is people make assumptions like that. I'm sure racist assumptions like that. But to say that that is uh, widespread uh, or to say that that's just a, a given, I think is, I think your point is, is, uh, is accurate. I think those assumptions often are classist assumptions, though, and not racist assumptions, because I did see yeah. this phenomenon in Silicon Valley early in Silicon Valley, like not super early, but, you know, 20 years ago in Silicon Valley, uh, when there was the first batch of nerdy engineers who had made millions of dollars. The I remember having this conversation with someone who ran an art gallery, actually, and he was having to adjust himself because... Uh, they often there it was an art gallery that was on like a main thoroughfare and they had to make sure that transient people didn't just like come and hang out in the art gallery so they were kind of vigilant of who was walking in and be like you know if you're not here to peruse art can you leave and so uh they had had a problem in the past with uh homeless people or whatever just kind of coming into the store and he was telling me that he was having starting to have a hard time differentiating between tech millionaires and homeless people who were coming to the store because the tech millionaires weren't like, they weren't like the old clients wearing the suit and tie. They were just like in ripped jeans and a shirt and like scruffy hair and like walking in Carter, like Carter, this. this you know. Like, have you seen the, is it a website or something that's like homeless or hipster? And then you just, <laughs> I have not seen it. It's hilarious. You should look this up, homeless or hipster. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, this, I look, I saw Pretty Woman. They, they didn't think she could afford the clothes in Beverly Hills either. And she, like, she was white. That's true. The point being, yes, people are sizing up several different things. And it's not always a given that you're, it's not a given that your white skin is some kind of like, you know, credit card. Yeah. There's also a subtle thing here that I do not want to discuss in depth on the show, but I'll just mention it for another show. Um, there's a, there's an interesting question to me of whether, uh, using statistical analysis to draw uh, hypotheses about an individual based on their membership in groups, it, that's statistically important. Like, if that's statistically valid, is that racism? That's a, that's a, it's like, it's a question that I, I think is a little bit subtle. Like, if, if you're then never going to treat them like an individual, obviously it is. But the question is like, if you have a, hypothesis immediately about like, oh, well, they're likely to be X because of these visual things that I see about them, whether it's their gender or color or whatever. If that's based on empirical data and is true, is that racism? I, I actually don't think that's an easy question to answer. That's a, that'll be a great, yeah, side discussion because I have some thoughts about that as well. And all right, let, let's move yeah. on. I don't get, well, I'm distracting us. <laughs> uh, I can arrange to protect my children most of the time from people who might not like them. I don't know what that means. Maybe that's economic privilege. I don't know. I don't know what that is. I think part this is partially in our head and partially majority privilege. Yeah. What she's trying to say is that uh, it's a dangerous world out there if if your child is not white and that uh, that so that's the part that I think is in her head, like and and then and then uh, the other is majority privilege, which is that you know, and my child is in the minority. So like like. 
this whole idea right. about that has become accepted now that it's dangerous to be um, uh, that that cops are always out to pull over black people for doing nothing and then to you know get a chance to be racist towards them this, that this is somehow a thing that happens. Um, anecdotally, yes, I'm sure it has happened. I've also anecdotally I've dealt with sexist cops who or it came off as sexist towards me before. But I don't. I would never say generally that it is uh, any more dangerous to be a person in this group than it is to be in that group when you're pulled over for speeding. Yeah. Does that? Does there that are some. Yeah. I mean, look, there are some systemic problems with police, but I don't think racism is one. And and I know people will argue about that, but it's mostly anecdotal. The studies that they've actually done, when that I've seen at least, seem to dispel that there's actually racism happening on a systemic you know rampant level are there individual instances of it absolutely yeah there are but that's not the same thing all right so where are we number 15 i did not have to educate my children to be aware of systemic racism for their own daily physical protection no you don't no, no one really has to this goes um, this is tied in with number 14 yeah i can be pretty sure that my children's teachers and employers will tolerate them uh, da, 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 da. If they fit school and workplace norms, my chief worries about them do not concern others' attitudes toward their race. I don't think anyone in America should be chiefly concerned about others' attitudes toward the race of their child. I don't, I, I think this is made up. Number 14, 15, 16 should have all been one bullet point, Peggy. <laughs> like those are all tied in together. Uh, what she's trying to say there. Well, she needs, uh, she needs 50 is a good number. Okay. Um, where are we? I can talk with my mouth full and not have people put this down to my color. I don't. What? Okay. I, not in Japan. I mean, I, I don't know. What, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. What the, what the hell is that? Are you, is, is this some, is this some, at, like, are you accusing black people of talking with their mouth? Well, I, I don't mean, know. Yeah. I think sometimes they push stereotypes that, and they, that people I don't feel like she's going to say, I can eat watermelon and fried chicken with that. Like, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm down, Peggy, with your, your stereotypes. stereotypes. What, what is this? They push and they push stereotypes. It's like that article, that SJW article that came out that said, you know, here are 17 phrases that you didn't realize are problematic. And then they go through all of them and you're like, wow. Um, I didn't know they were, but now you've kept this, you've pushed this idea out there that you've reintroduced these, their problematic yes. roots into what had been clean with, yeah. Into what was <laughs> neutral. And now yeah. that's a bad thing to say. So, uh, okay. I mean, 18, 19, 20 and 21, I know we have to start moving a little bit more quickly. They're all kind of the same to me. They all fit in the same category of, uh, oh, here, I'll show them on the screen. They all fit in the same category of kind of non sequitur, her impressions of things, right? I can swear, it's kind of the same as her mouthful uh, without people judging. I can swear, dress in secondhand clothes, blah, 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 without people attributing it to my my bad morals uh, or the poverty or illiteracy to my race. So again, she's just kind of assuming that we all think black people are illiterate people who have bad morals, I guess. That's what she, like, this is projection, Peggy. This reveals a lot about her own psychology, frankly. I think it does. Um, I can speak in public to a powerful male group without putting my race on trial. Everyone can do that. I can do well in challenging situation without being called the credit to my race. 
you you will never be called a credit to your race, Peggy McIntosh. Uh, I'm never asked to speak for all the people of my racial group. Okay, hold on. Here's an interesting Ugh. one. Now, 30 years later, SJWs accept and push the idea that a person can speak if they're in a marginalized group, that they can speak on behalf of the entire group, unless they disagree with the belief system. Unless they don't want to. Right. Unless they don't want to. But but often you will see SJW saying, let's say you're disagreeing with them about something um, and they'll say, but I'm a woman. And so my lived experience says this and women feel blah, blah, blah. And they'll speak on behalf of all women. And no mm. one elected them to do that. And the same thing for racial groups. They'll say, but uh, uh, black people, da, da, da. If you bring up individuals, well, hey, people are individuals. There's no one female opinion on this and there's no one male opinion on this and there's no one black opinion or white opinion or you know there's no one way of thinking because of your race or sex um and if you bring up individuals who don't agree with them i know we use candace owens as a great example they they don't they don't have a response to that because they they're trying to put forth the idea that there's one opinion based on race they're really racist in this way or there's one opinion based on sex and they're really sexist in that way and then anyone who doesn't fit that it who who dispels this myth of theirs that's why they get so angry at those people that's why they call them racial epithets that's why they call them uh horrible things because because those people have rejected this cult of belief and said no i'm not gonna i'm not going to go along with this group thing and uh, and just by by matter of being in a marginalized group and disagreeing with them, you you prove that their their entire argument is wrong, that their belief is wrong, that there's one way of thinking. Anyway, yeah. that was a long little rant, but that I just think it's funny how that's evolved. That it used to be that the the, the complaint is that uh, white people. What she's saying basically is that white people expect a black person to speak on behalf of their race. But now they've come to a place where SJWs are like, I am allowed to speak on behalf of my race. Right. If it's if it's in support of social justice. If it's in support of social justice. I got to be honest, Carrie, if I had some food, I would be speaking with my mouth full right now just to take advantage of my privilege. How many times have I done that on Confessi? Um, <laughs> I can remain oblivious of the language and customs of persons of color who constitute the world's majority without feeling in my culture any penalty for such oblivion. Uh, I mean, not if you're in another, like, yeah, because you live in the US, you idiot. Like, you live, you don't live in the rest of the world. Like, you can't, in China, you need to be aware of China's customs. And you don't, and it doesn't matter what the customs of Zimbabwe are in China. But in Zimbabwe, it really matters what the Zimbabwe customs are and not so much what the Chinese customs are. What the hell is that one? This is a geographical and majority privilege. Okay, I lived in Tanzania for a short time. I definitely needed to know the language and the cultural, and I had to learn them quickly. You know, don't shake hands with your left hand. That's your poo hand. Don't, you know, <laughs> they're like, don't eat with your left hand. You know, wear the dress, don't wear pants, like wear your wrap. There was just, I had I took four years of Swahili before I went there. This is this is a bald faced lie because it depends on where you're at. Anyway, it's also it's also um it belies the globalist mentality right of of these leftists right because they are actually even way back then they're against nations being separate. So she's she's got this like you know 
we should just look at the earth in its entirety and the majority members of the earth are X type of person. Therefore, that should matter to your daily life somehow in Nebraska. Um, number 23, I can criticize our government and talk about how much I fear its policies and behavior without being seen as a cultural outsider. <laughs> Try being a libertarian, Peggy. I don't think you can. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't, do you know what this one is? I don't think she can do that. No. Um, oh, here, I'll put these back up. Sorry. Yeah, let's put them. Oh, look, wait a minute. I just had to say. Oops, that's the chat. I got the chat up. Yeah, there I pulled up the chat. Third Papaya says, uh, the ability to talk with your mouth full without judgment is such an important privilege. <laughs> Thank God it was more white. <laughs> nice, Third Papaya. See, it is an important privilege. I'm, I'm wasting it. <sighs> okay, where are we? We're on uh, blah, blah, blah. Number 24. I can be pretty sure that if I ask to talk to the person in charge, I'll be facing a person of my own race. Not in Japan. 24. Sorry, 25. Jeez. If a traffic cop pulls me over or if the IRS audits my tax return, I can be sure I haven't been singled out because of my race. I Was there evidence that this was happening? Be, sing, people are being singled out because of the race? I know they're being singled out because they're conservative for the IRS. Uh, I've never heard of the race. Is that a thing? I've never heard of the race thing for IRS, but I do believe there are cops, especially in 1988, who would pull someone over presumably because of their race. So I, I give her this one. I, I won't give her that one. I, I, won't <laughs> give her, I won't give her that because the IRS and I won't give her it about the cops without actual evidence. Cause the, the one study that I'm aware of was the New Jersey turnpike cops pulling people over. And when the study was actually completed, it turns out that they were actually not pulling black people over enough based on how much they were speeding. So based on how much they, I remember you telling me about that study. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know. Number 26. I can easily buy posters, postcards, picture books, greeting cards, dolls, toys, and children's magazines featuring people of my race. Again, this is majority. A lot of these are majority privilege. If you go to Japan, like not in Japan, you're right. going to be fine. Okay. I can go home from number 27. I can go home from most meetings of organizations I belong to feeling somewhat tied in rather than isolated, out of place, outnumbered, unheard, held at a distance or feared. This is in your head. This depends on you and the individual person. And, you know, I used to feel I, I used to walk into meetings with my former business partner who I told her because I was such an SJW then and she wasn't really. And I, I was like, wow, you, you have the confidence of like a 60 year old white man because I was an SJW. And I felt like that person is the most accepted. Right. And I, it was in my, a lot of it was in my head. I would go into a meeting and I would already assume that they were going to be judging me because I was a woman and she didn't walk into meetings like that. And no, I know I and I I know her. I won't name her, but she did have confidence, and she didn't she didn't yeah. walk into meetings like that. And no one treated her differently because she was a woman. Yeah. It wasn't that she had the confidence of a sixty year old white man. That's an SJW's way of thinking. It no, was no, she had the confidence of a woman who, who was in her twenties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> early. Yeah, she had. She just had confidence. It's not the confidence of a early thirties. They, yeah. they they. they they teach you to view yourself as either confident or not or victim or not based on all these factors, all these identity groups you're in and it hurts you. Yeah. All right. I can be pretty sure that an argument with a colleague of another race is more likely to jeopardize his or her chances for advancement than to jeopardize mine. I, I this is projection again. I don't know what that is. Uh, and if it's anything, it would be not in Japan. 
I can be pretty sure that if I argue for the promotion of a person of another race or a program centering on race, this is not likely to cost me heavily with my present setting, even if my colleagues disagree with me. These are such like weird corner cases for like, what situation are you fucking talking about? Now, this is one that is because they perceived it this way in 1988. This is one of the ones where um, SJWs a lot of times will say this thing over here is wrong. So let's do the inverse. We talked about that this morning. This is one of those where they've done the inverse. Like now it's like it's it's better that you that you present a program (laughs) centering on race. Oh, yes, it's better. So they've gone over. It's like, let's stretch the rubber band way, way, way far. Yeah. If I declare there is a racial issue at hand or there isn't a racial issue at hand, my race won't lend more credibility for either position than a person of color will have. This is the opposite. Exactly. Carrie. Exactly. This is, what you just said. This is the exact opposite. The yep. exact opposite now. So they're like, this thing is wrong. This thing that we're, we perceive as happening is wrong, which is that white people have more credibility when talking about race. So let's create a world where the opposite is true. And uh, only people of color are allowed to talk about race. B- both things are wrong. So if you believe this is happening, why would you fight for this? Why would you stretch the rubber band until it pops? Why wouldn't you find a place in the middle where anybody can talk about whatever they want <laughs> and they're judged based on what arguments they make? And yes, experience plays a factor, but it's just one factor because it's anecdotal. So argumentation, lived experience, um, uh, how long they've studied, you know, expertise, how long they've studied something, um, all of those things matter. Yeah. I, uh, <sighs> yeah, sorry. I, I had a brain fart. There was something I was going to say about that, but I, I forgot what, oh, I know what I was going to say. I'm not, this is not me. Uh, this is not me arguing. I'm just stating, I, I don't love the rubber band analogy. Cause I feel like it's like, the meat, like there's the fallacy of the middle, like the fallacy of the middle is like, it's not about getting to the middle. It's getting off the fucking race train. Just get off the fucking race train. Stop driving the race train around. Get off, get off the race train. That's I like, <laughs> I don't want an analogy. I like, love it. well, the rubber band's here. It's gotta be stretched this way too far. There's a right amount of stretching. Like, no, let go of the fucking rubber band. It's not about race. Let go. I ah. like my rubber band analogy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure a bunch of people love it. I'm, and I'm mansplaining. Okay. <laughs> I can choose to ignore development to minority. What? As a woman, I I get to tell you to sit down and shut up whenever I like. (laughs) Yes, but I don't have to listen because I'm a misogynist pig by definition. (laughs) I can choose to ignore developments in minority writing and minority activist programs or disparage them or learn from them. But in any case, I can find ways to be more or less protected from negative consequences of any of these choices. No, this is the inverse. They've done, it's the inverse. Uh, yeah. Yeah. My culture gives me Actually, now, if you're white and you ignore the developments in minority writing <laughs> or disparage them, you're fucked. Yeah, that's what I meant. Um, it's completely, they've taken, yeah. they've ridden the, okay, let, I'm going to take my rubber band analogy and use your train. They've ridden the train, they're full circle <laughs> on the track. <laughs> the race train, the race train started here and they were going this way and they didn't realize the track was a circle and they're right back at racism. <laughs> <sighs> uh, all right. My culture, we're coming up on the one I agree with, by the way, soon, uh, but 32. My culture gives me little fear about ignoring the perspectives and powers of people of other races. Uh, no, no, it doesn't. 
I am not made it's the ac- inverse now again. Yep. I'm not made acutely aware that my shape, bearing, or body odor will be t- taken as a reflection on my race. I gotta say, I she thinks that like black people are smelly and only eat the certain kind of foods and talk with their mouth full. I don't she she really is a racist. Yeah. Just to have this just to have this thought process and write it down is racist. Okay. Um I can worry about racism without being seen as self-interest. Oh, wait. Yeah, that's the next one. 34. I can worry about racism without being seen as self-interested or self-seeking. Uh, no. I mean, not really. But, okay. We're going to come on the one I like, Carrie. This is the one I completely agree with her about. Number 35. I can take a job with an affirmative action employer without having my coworkers on the job suspect that I got it because of my race. She is right. Only white people can do that. That is a privilege. And I think we should get rid of it. You know how to get rid of that privilege? And affirmative action. That's the only way to get rid of that privilege. It's the yeah. only way. We, you and I have discussed this in other videos, um, but again, yeah, they've they've taken the racism train right back around to racism. Uh, it's the same thing. And now she's pointing out that, but she knows it came back to racism. That's the weird thing. She's like, yeah, yeah, affirmative action. Hey, that's racist. You pushed for it. What the fuck? Yeah. You're the one who wanted affirmative action. Now you're back saying affirmative action is problematic because it's racist. Like, Yes. Yeah, we know it's racist. We told you it was racist. So for any SJW who may be watching, hopefully, I see, I still hope SJWs will eventually watch. What Carter and I are trying to say is if you set up a system where, um, like right now, a popular topic is uh, men shouldn't do panels, like science panels or whatever, if there's no women on the panel. Well, I think that's stupid because if you're a female scientist and then you get put on the panel, now you got to wonder, will they pick me because I was a woman? Was it because, or, and everyone on the panel is wondering, are you there because you're a woman? Don't set up that system. Just pick people based on merit. Don't pick people based on race. Again, if this thing is wrong, if picking people based on race or sex is wrong, then it's just as wrong to do it for the other, like for this race or sex. So don't do it. And and, and you put people at a disadvantage now where women are, or Black people are um, questioning the basis of which uh, on which they got something, except for the people who are dishonest and don't care, and they're they're just happy they're happy to be there probably because they don't deserve to be there. Right. This hurts the best. The best people of color are hurt the most by this. Yes. <sighs> All right, Carrie. I know we're running short on time. I don't know if you want to batch some of these up, but. Uh... Uh, let's see. Okay. 36 through 42 uh, are basically all kind of the same category to me, but right. If you got one you want to call out, go ahead. Uh, if my day, week, or year is going badly, I need not ask of each negative episode or situation, whether it had racial overtones. I do want to call this one out because okay. this is true for everyone. It should be true for everyone. And what, what SJW, ID, if she thinks this is wrong, if she thinks that this is something that's happening, that, uh, black people, for example, um, have to look at every negative episode as if it has racial overtones or women have to look at everything as if it has um, sexist overtones. If she thinks that's happening and it's wrong, why then is SJW ideology preaching that that's what we should do? And that's what it does. It tells us to look at everything through this lens of, 
oppression and we're being oppressed and everything, everything that bad that happens to me is because of sexism and it ha- my sex is somehow involved or my race is involved or because it, it, of racism. It's not everything is because of, of oppression based on what group you're in. And so, but the, this one's weird to me because she's basically saying this is a wrong thing, but now they preach that. Is it, does that make sense? It's also like, it's, it's also like, Hey, here's a piece of bad advice that, that people shouldn't have to follow. Yeah, they shouldn't have. They don't actually have to follow that. They never need to ask of every situation whether it had racial overtones. That yeah, was like never s- true. Stop doing that. Start seeing yourself as an individual. Right. Um, all right. I can be pretty sure of finding people who will be willing to talk with me and advise me. Yeah, that, I don't think that's race related to race. That's just her projecting and imagining that it can't be done. Oh, I can well, think she, over... she had a ton of connections too. So. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. I'm pretty sure that the president will answer my phone call. That's because I'm white. No, <laughs> no, no, Peggy, it is not. <laughs> uh, I'd like to speak to the president, please. Hold on. <laughs> I don't think white? black people can do this. <laughs> uh, I can think over many options. So, <laughs> so I'm sorry. Uh, her view of black people. I can think over many options, social, political, imaginative, or professional, without asking whether a person of my race would be accepted or allowed to do what I want to do. Every, everyone can do that in America. I don't, I don't know what, where you're uh, growing up. I, I want to back up for a second. Just in the chat, Third Papaya says, I've heard lots of black folks derive whites for failing to bathe correctly. Just last week, Taylor Swift said she didn't wash her legs in the shower and black Twitter lost its shit. And actually, I didn't know that Taylor Swift had said that, but I did see even in my little echo chamber, I saw people asking, did white people really not wash their legs? And 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 there's a Dave Chappelle skit where uh, we're trading spouses, but it, they trade like a, a black guy goes to live with a white family and the white guy goes to live with the black guy's family. And yep. in that skit, it's this, this stereotype that uh, white people don't use washcloths, that they just bathe with their hands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, actually, actually, where were we? Do you remember? Um, oh, advisors. Uh, oh, no. Number 39. I can be late to a meeting. See, she thinks they're late to meetings also. By the way, trust having worked with Carrie, I can say that is not something that's only hey! for black people. Okay, look, sometimes <laughs> here's the other thing. We should talk about this at some point. Sometimes stereotypes are based on like average averages and on truth. So when I was in Tanzania, there's this they call it African time, right? Like it, right. African time meaning uh, there's this cultural attitude towards we'll get there when we get there around about this time. I operate on, I naturally operate on African time, if that's the case. <laughs> like, yes, you do. Hey. <laughs> and I know in, in America, there's a similar thing. They call it uh, colored people time. And, but there's they also, do? yeah, they do. You've never heard that. I've never heard that. No, I've heard island yeah. time when you're on vacation somewhere. Ah, island time. I, I haven't heard island time. I've never heard a racial. Uh, yeah. I've never heard that racial. In the sa- it's, it's popular in the South or it used to be anyway. Oh, okay. uh, but I mean, it's mostly black people who's, who use it. It's not white people who use it, at least not today. But um, but there's also Southern time. Like they're- Yeah, that's, yeah. Yes, and I am a Southerner, sir. So anyway. <laughs> All right, madam. Uh, okay, so yeah, so Peggy thinks that black people are late all the time. 
I can choose public accommodation without fearing that people of my race cannot get in or will be mistreated in the places I have chosen. Is she like 300 years old? What is, where are these coming from? This was 1989. That wasn't a thing. I, maybe there were, there must've been some racists that were running hotels that I didn't know about. Well, there actually, uh, there was a study done um, with Chinese Americans. Um, and yes, this, yes. That I believe, know, you know, which study I'm talking about. And, and you know, what's interesting about that study. I forget, I forget the guy who did it, but he had a, a couple, um, a Chinese couple who he took them, they, the three of them went around the country and they tried to check in at different hotels. And that study is very interesting because what he found was that if they called in advance and said they had a Chinese couple coming, um, that the hotels were more, more than, often than not would say, would they have a policy? They're not renting rooms to Chinese people. Um, but if they showed up in person, the hotel would usually more often than not give them a room. And hmm. what's interesting about that study is um, to me anyway, is how a lot of times if you have an existing prejudice or a policy based on prejudice, what, what breaks that down? Well, like, like anything person to person connections, seeing yeah. someone right in front of you. So I do remember growing up in the Individual, 80s. Like, individualizing it. Yeah. I remember growing up in the 80s, like post-Vietnam, there was the most racism that I saw from people was actually anti-Asian racism. Um, and I grew up in a town that was mostly white, but there were a few uh, African-Americans in the town. They weren't, no, there was no racist attitude toward them that I ever saw, but there was racist attitude towards Asians. And it was, and it was like, it was, it grew up in this, you know, the, the Rambo era of like, you know, or the, uh, what are some other, you know, apocalypse now and, and, you know, all those full metal jacket, all that kind of stuff was all set. It was all, you know, all set in Vietnam and it was all about shooting Asians basically. Um, and so there was, there was some Asian bias, but I never really saw it against blacks, but you know, maybe I'm privileged where I grew up. Okay, so let's let's uh, Carrie. I know you're you're just we're almost to fifty, Carrie. Well, historically, I just want to say something about that. Um, in this country, of course, that has existed. Of course, that 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 racism against blacks has existed, and of course, yeah, obviously, yeah. yeah, obviously. The but in 1988, I'm sure there was still some of that. Absolutely, in 2019, are we're still operating as if this paper it's the basis of this whole belief system. Do you really know of any hotels that would say that would take race into account? Any race into account? Yeah. I d yeah. Yeah. Good point. I, actually, I do in Japan. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, okay. I can be assured. I can be sure that if I need legal or medical help, my race will not work against me. I don't get that one. Are people not being treated because they're black? Is that a thing? Well, Kamala Harris is trying to say. She's trying to put that idea forward right now. Remember? But that's just not true. It's not true, but. Okay. I can arrange my activities so that I will never have to experience feelings of rejection owing to my race. Uh, how do you know that they are owed to your race? I just, this is again. All right. If I have low credibility as a leader, I can be sure that race is not the problem. I don't, but there were black leaders. I don't understand even in 1989, there's plenty of examples of black leaders. I don't know why. I don't know why that's a thing. 
Um, well, this also probably goes back to the affirmative action thing too, which is that if you set up the conditions under which people can use um, race or gender to uh, progress as like as an as an advantage, then you automatically set up conditions where some people are going to wonder if that's why they're in a leadership position. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I can easily find academic courses and in institutions which give attention to only people of my race. All right, again, that's a that's a majority privilege. Actually, actually, actually that's, that's, that's a Western culture privilege, right? No, but but that, that's the inverse now. That's the opposite now. It is oh, hard. Oh yeah, to you find, can't. Yeah, yeah. Any academic course or which only gives attention to white people? Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> it, yeah, fair. Yeah, this is completely intersectionality. This whole belief system has said, well, this thing is wrong. So again, let's do this. Let's do it. But let's do it this way. Let's do this wrong thing. That's yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the, the other thing, and this is just the fact is she's, she's living in a culture that was mostly built by whites, not completely, but they, it's a white majority. It, Europe was a white majority. America was a white majority. It'd been a white majority. For, so most of the history will be about white people. That's not racist. That's called History. Okay, uh, I can expect figurative language and imagery in all of the arts to testify to experiences of my race. That this is a stretch, Peggy. I don't know what the hell that's supposed to mean. Uh, I can choose blemish cover or bandages and flesh color that have and have them more or less match my skin. Okay, now, I, this one bothers me a lot as a white person. No bandages that ever match my skin ever. I'm white. Especially, I'm as white as you get. They don't match my skin color. Especially not my Elmo bandages. Um, I, <laughs> I it's actually. It's also majority privilege, by the way. But th yeah. there's it is majority privilege. There is a new um, uh, intersectional band aid. I don't know if you've seen this. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like True Healing or something, and it has uh, multiracial band aids. Nice. It, it's on the shelves now. I saw it at Target. Um, but you know, I have a personal anecdote. When I was still SJW. Not that long. This is a few years ago. A friend and I were developing a documentary about skin, about the skin color um, privilege. We, it was going to mm -hmm. be called Nude, and we were going to mm -hmm. be focusing on like um, the idea that nude is racist because it's often portrayed as white. Mm. Um, and we were going to we were talking about like crayons and um, bra color and band aids and things like that and. In retrospect, it is it is a majority privilege thing. It's not because people don't want to make bras for black people. It's because black people are thirteen percent of the population in the U.S. If you know if they're making something that they're trying to match to skin tone, it's majority. But yes, as as demographics change, that is going to change, and it it already is changing. Right. I can't tell how much of that is actual market pressure versus virtue signaling, but yes. Um, Okay, uh, I can choose. Oh, we got that one. I can travel alone or with my spouse with spouse without expecting embarrassment or or hostility in those who deal with us. I, I mean, I don't think that happens anymore. It, I'm sure it did at one time. I think she's. I assume that she is talking about interracial couples. Is she an interracial couple? Uh, I don't. Or I'm she's not, not sure. an interracial couple, and she's saying that she. I don't. I don't know what that is. I'm not sure. Uh, I have no difficulty finding neighborhoods where people approve of our household. 
I don't. Do you actually know if anyone in your neighborhood approves of your household? Because I've never surveyed my neighbors. I don't know no. what that means. And do you actually, approve of our household. Do you approve our? Here in what Austin, is, and does this mean that black people don't have? Are they? Are she saying that only whites have like nuclear families and kids and a dog or whatever? And I don't know what she's saying. I think that might be what she's trying to say. But, but the other thing is, like. I, this is the funniest side here in Austin. The, it's really popular for woke people to put these signs in their yard and you see them everywhere here that say in this house, we believe. And then it says, um, you know, uh, Oh gosh, it's like women are people. It's a whole list of SJW beliefs. And, yeah. and they're practically, I, they're practically on every lawn here as well. Oh, black lives matter in this house. We believe Black Lives Matter, women are people, science is real. There's a whole list of them. They're there yeah. too. Yeah. So so they're telling you outright, pretty much all of Austin has these signs. We approve of any and all of your families. We are good people in this house. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, my children are given texts and classes which implicitly support our kind of family unit and do not turn them against my choice of domestic partnership. I, this again is this weird, I don't know where the stereotype of black people is coming from. The black family was has traditionally been, I mean, I know in recent years it's it's fallen apart for predominantly because of state involvement, but black family, even post-slavery, was extremely nuclear. strong, extremely yeah. strong and and nuclear. I mean, great family traditions in the black community. What the hell is she fucking talking about? It's what a, is she I, talking about? It, it, it's a racist belief of hers. She's racist. She, yeah. God, she's so racist. All right. Um, I feel what last one, finally. Um, we'll, we'll show it up so you can enjoy looking at the number 50. Last one. I will feel welcomed and normal in the usual walks of public life, institutional and social. I don't feel welcomed and normal, but that's... I think that's a psychological issue more than anything else, Peggy, you and me both. All right. So Carrie, do we want to, I mean, is there anything in the summary that we need to really talk about? She goes on, she's got a couple more pages actually of this stupid thing. Um, but she doesn't really, I guess the thing that's the most important to point out is maybe um, this, this part of the, the next paragraph here, because this kind of reveals what her, uh, agenda is the pressure to avoid it is great for in facing it I must live up to the myth of meritocracy if these things are true this is not such a free country one's life is not what one makes it many doors open for certain people through no virtues of their own so this just reveals that her entire goal is to tear down western culture any sort of remnants of capitalism they she oppose they oppose meritocracy because it is a racist and sexist belief system um I, absolutely. There's one other sentence in here I wanted to highlight towards yep. the end. Um, she says, disapproving of the system won't be enough. These systems won't be enough to change them. She's talking about systems of oppression. I was taught to think that racism could end if white individuals change their attitude. So she's basically saying racism can't end. It's never going to end. Like, well, that's a weird uh, and kind of a downer belief. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, uh, thank you for highlighting that. You're, that's a great catch. But it's necessary because it can't end if this, if this ideology is to continue. This ideology depends on it, it is based on it. 
her job depends on it, you know? Right. So racism can't end for these people. There's, they don't want racism to end. Sexism can't end, nope. you know, it has to continue. And if, and they will find other isms. Yeah. I, what I really hear her saying is racism can't end because what about my grant money? My yeah. grant money, my grant money can't dry up. Uh, yeah. By the I way, she went on to, she created this thing called the seed project. And yes, I read about that. Yeah. So seed project has done a lot to put this ideology into schools. Um, and yeah, that's part of the reason I think this is, was so impactful. And well, let's just remind everyone though, again, which I know we said this at the beginning very explicitly, this is just the ramblings of an old lady. There's no, there's no science to this. There's no facts that are cited. There's no statistics. Some of them may have some amounts of truth. Who knows? But she didn't do anything to cite any supporting evidence. This is not academic in the, in the sense of actually scientifically minded piece of work. This is just drivel. That's, this is just some lady thought some stuff. A privileged white lady felt some things and wrote it down. And that's what is now passed off as intellectual thought and, you know, establishment dogma. It's, it's passed off scribblings as of this racist rich lady. And it's passed off as truth. And I, I, I would really challenge people to the next time somebody says white privilege to you, as if this is an established fact, like gravity, you know, I, <laughs> I would, I would, I would push back a little because you can go through this list. You're allowed to have opinions about this list. There are some, as you saw that Carter agrees with, or I agree with, and there are others that we disagree, but, but you're allowed to have a, this, this is a list of this lady's opinions as Carter points out and her beliefs. And you're allowed to have opinions and beliefs about those. And so, yeah, it's uh, a great point. I would maybe carry around memorize number 35 and when someone accuses you of white privilege, you can say, you know, I just read Peggy McIntosh's white privilege article, white knapsack or unpacking the, the knapsack of white privilege article. And, you know, number 35, she, she makes a point that a pr affirmative action is racist. And I agree. <laughs> <laughs> you could say, which of the 50 do you agree with? They're, and yeah. they probably never read it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. I have to I know go. you have to go. I know you have to go, Carrie. This was great. I like that we finally got through the knapsack and uh, yes. yeah. Um, and you guys in the chat, I, because we were trying to run through the list and there's 50 of them, we didn't get to pay attention as much to the chat, but I saw you guys are really active there and I really appreciate it. I'm going to read through all this later. Yeah. Big Trouble in Little China. I don't know what that's about, but that is a great movie. Okay. I got to go. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thank you, Carrie. Bye. Okay. Thank you everyone for, for watching. Um, yeah, we will see you next week. Like we mentioned earlier, we may end up having to change the time of deprogrammed, but because uh, Carrie needs to eat, so she's got a job going on. But uh, we'll see. It may it may shift to this time. Let us know if you didn't like the time or if you've got other times that you want. Because our community is still pretty small right now. So uh, you know, if you guys all want a certain thing, maybe we can make that happen. But thanks for watching and listening, and uh, we'll see you uh, see you tomorrow for Coffee. Thank <music> you.